Hello and welcome to A Kind of Meadow with Rhiannon Vaughn. I am your host, Rhiannon Vaughn, and this is a podcast about healing. Each week, we follow our guest on a journey through time and space as they undergo energy work around a specific topic of their choosing. And while the healings will have a similar flow and process and sometimes imagery that is specific to my energy work practice, each session will be highly specific and unique to the guests who have been so kind and vulnerable to share this journey with you. I'm so excited to pick back up on the podcast. I took a little break to dive into an opportunity to build my startup. I make project management software for screenwriters to develop their ideas in treatment format on a platform called Cibola Story Studio. I think I mentioned in a previous episode that I really love programming because it's so objective and so logical and it's nice to create something tangible in that way. (laughs) Storytelling can feel like a ghost (laughs) and energy work can feel like a dream. And while I can definitely get validation from, from both storytelling and energy work in the form of people's responses, it's, it's just not the same as dreaming up a button that can do X, Y, Z, and then bam, there it is. So I have found myself kind of lavishing in the fun of being creative and bringing storytelling to life or bringing stories to life through this very logical and objective world. And it's been an interesting balance. My experience in the tech world was also a really incredible lesson that I struggle with to show up exactly how I am. You know, I came up in a very corporate environment and most offices, regardless of how progressive they may seem, how many snacks they offer, how much beer they have on tap, they all still perpetuate white supremacist patriarchal standards, but in a t-shirt instead of a button up. There was literally a workshop that I went to this year on how to look like a CEO. And I can tell you that it was not however the fuck you want, because you are creating the culture of your company. It was still a whole lot of nonsense with roots in white supremacy. You know, as a, as a human, we come up in these environments, we get scolded in these environments and, and ultimately we get molded in these environments too. And The tech space is not very different than banking in that world. It's hyper-masculine and hyper-logical. And there were many days where I was unsure I could share what I was working on because, well, it was psychic shit. (laughs) I, I really love being bold. And I have spaces where I have no problem doing that. And what I learned this year is that I end up hiding in those spaces, which creates this illusion of safety to myself, that I'm bold. But what I discovered is that I still shrink in a lot of ways when I'm outside of those spaces where I feel safe to be bold. I'm so scared of not being taken seriously as a founder. And even more, you know, I'm a I'm a technical co-founder and I wear a lot of pink. <laughs> I do psychic stuff. <laughs> there, there are all of these ways where I don't exactly fit the mold of what people think of when they think of technical co-founder because of how I present, you know, very bright, very weird, and with very exposed shoulders. I just do not like wearing sleeves, which sounds really funny to say because of how on earth could shoulders be offensive. But that's what I've internalized from being 
labeled a dress code violator all my life. Through this work, through these realizations, I'm trying to step out of this feeling like I can't be who I am, or I have to cover myself, I have to mute myself. Because every time I choose to do that, I'm choosing martyrdom. I every time, you know what I mean, I decide to tone it down in fear of offending someone with my skin. And I've decided before anyone says anything that it's inappropriate, or that I won't be taken seriously because of how I present when the truth is that it's probably true that I won't be taken seriously because my lipstick's too pink. <laughs> but those reasons are completely unrelated to me and fully related to the systems that exist. But every time I martyr myself through muting who I am, I am holding up that system. So as scary as it's been, I have tried, I continue to try to put myself out there a little bit every day. Today, that looks like showing up to the office in full tomato girl aesthetic, <laughs> shoulders exposed. I'm being brave. We're trying it. And you know what? It's the funniest thing about all of this is that it always pays off. Historically, the last time I protested in the form of dress code, I was sent home with pay for one month. You know, at first I was like embarrassed and full of shame and I was really upset because my midriff was more offensive than the racism that had happened the day before. But that's a whole other thing. And I was embarrassed that I was let go. But really, at the end of the day, I got to be home <laughs> in the summer with full pay. So if I break it down, my embarrassment and ego bruising aside, at the end of the day, I was still rewarded by the universe. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm still so scared about it when things like that continue to happen. I mean, it's scary. It, re it really is. For me, this internalized not fitting in <laughs> the I don't fit the mold. It's very hard. I've dealt with it in a lot of different ways, just being like a mixed kid. And so it shows up in all of these ways about being too masculine or too feminine, too loud, too weird, all of it, and not knowing how to fit and being angry about that, which seems perfect. Because what I've learned is that when I really allow myself to show up in any space, but even in the tech space, this very specific world of the tech space, I've met some really incredible founders who also feel the same way. <laughs> they love magic and spirituality and lipstick and being guided by intuition and are very happy to get weird with me. Which leads me to my guest, Kristen Slink. I will let her introduce herself in just a minute. She is an incredible mentor and leader in tech, taking all that she's learned through her success as a founder and sharing it generously and honestly. The first time I met Kristen, she was leading a workshop for the pre-accelerator I was in. And she truly was an open book. She sat there and said, ask me anything you want to know. And it was refreshing to hear her speak so candidly about her experience. And then she's just 
so fun and magnetic on top of it. I am happy to be a member of her Tech AF community where she helps build up founders through building community and sharing resources. She really is doing the work. So when I asked her what she would like to focus on, I was thrilled that she wanted to talk about her anger with the patriarchy because yes, (laughs) yes, (laughs) it's in the air. Let's talk about it. Let's break it down. Let's examine it energetically. I love this. Also, in relation to that is also her relationship with money. Because as a founder, a big part of how you spend your time has to do with money. It has to do with driving revenue. It has to do with fundraising from investors. You spend a lot of time thinking about how to spend money, how to generate money, how to call in money. And so, of course, this felt like relevant. It felt very universal for the time that we're in. And I love an abundance healing and Kristen's experience offers so much richness in that arena. I mean, she is a person who's raised tens of millions of dollars and still feels a certain way about her relationship with money. And so I think that it's this really beautiful insight into the ways that oppressive systems that are made to feel like we don't belong can affect our our the way that we navigate the world and also the way the way that it makes it hard to feel like we can survive so i'm also very excited to say that today's episode is sponsored by my panda my personal assistant next door which is an incredible company here in atlanta these days we're faced with so many responsibilities and you know me as a, a mother of two children trying to have a podcast, trying to have a startup, trying to manage a part-time job. There's just so much that ends up falling through the cracks in my home organization that, you know, sometimes I just need an extra helping hand. And that's where my panda comes in. They offer trusted personal assistance right in your own neighborhood to help with the little things that add up to lots of time, like tidying up the kitchen. Oh my God, I feel like I spend my whole life tidying up the kitchen, folding laundry, organizing, anything that you need to get it off your plate so you can focus on doing the things that you love. And listeners of The Meadow can get 15% off their first request using coupon code MEADOW at mypandaapp.com. Okay, so now let's meet Kristen. Where do I start? (laughs) I grew up in rural Connecticut. So I always say rural Connecticut because I'm not like right outside the city in this glamorous life. It was really a place where there's a lot of farms and dairy fields and so on and so forth. So I come from humble beginnings with very hardworking parents and went to school in New Hampshire and racked up some pretty um, severe student loan debt. And I tell that story because that's kind of the beginning of the relationship with money since it's a topic. So parents always in debt. I go to college in New Hampshire, the most expensive state school for an out-of-state person. I was given all private student loans because I didn't have any co-signers. And so when I graduated, it was like, oh, I had this mountain of debt that I didn't even know how debt worked, that I had to repay. And then additionally, because I worked a pretty entry-level job and it was right after the whole real estate crash, I got a lot of credit card debt as well. And so I got a lot of debt at a young age and... For some reason of sheer force and and will, 
I was able to remove all of that debt within three years. And so I worked really hard in corporate America. I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car and was like learning how to run and start businesses. And it was just kind of like a lot of heads down. That whole experience led me to quitting that job and starting a startup. At this time, it wasn't really called a startup, but it really was a consulting business. And then through that experience, I ended up starting a venture-backed startup as a woman in finance and technology. It was an online lending business. And so the purpose of that business was to help consumers get out of personal debt and to understand how debt worked and how loans were structured. And so it was an online lending company where we issued loans and it was my mission to make that super transparent. When I look back at it, it kind of feels like I put more people into debt into that trap, right? It's kind of become a really big industry these days, but it was inexperience, you know, and it kind of ties into that whole financial situation that I got myself into because I didn't have parents that really taught me how financing worked and how to save money and create investments and stuff like that. So that's kind of my relationship with money and having my startup in both tech and finance and not having a technical background. So that's something you know, unique to me, starting that business was really hard for me. And I was surrounded by men and particularly men who kept me out of the room, so to speak. And in that situation, things that happened to me, it was a venture back startup. And so my first investor said, hey, only one founder can be on the board. And that ended up being my white male co-founder. So I was shut out of like any really big conversation around my business in the board setting. So it was like, I always had this like outside look in And I built that company over five years with that team and we grew pretty quickly and ended up selling it. And through that experience, it was like I gave up all autonomy on the business culture that I had created from scratch with this like really scrappy background and like really falling into it without getting into too many details. It was kind of like the situation where I always felt lucky to be there. Like, not that I deserved to be there, but I was lucky to be there. And so that whole experience of building a company and not really being in a position of power, although it looked like I did, right? Co-founder of this startup that's venture-backed, you think, oh, she's got a lot of pull, a lot of swing there. But it really was like a feeling of always outside looking in and all these decisions being made and then being relayed to me. And it was kind of the lack of trust too, of understanding whether or not that information coming back to me was actually accurate. And that's what was happening. And so the process of our acquisition of selling our business was really rocky. And I also was in a locked out of those rooms and those conversations, but that sale really affected me and it affected me to the point where I basically got a job out of it. And I got a really great offer to move out to Atlanta. So it was just like another opportunity to restart. And so ever since that experience, I have kind of really wanted to help other women in that position. So working with female founders of tech businesses for the past five years. So 10 years ago, I started the company. Five years ago, I sold it. And ever since I've been coaching and working with early stage startup founders. And so what really happened there is like my whole perspective of what a startup is, how to get funded, how to grow was turned upside down because in my experience, you know, we were able to raise $400,000 on this idea on a napkin because of this consulting business and having that previous experience and going through and having it acquired and, you know, learning things that were part of my experience that aren't typical and shouldn't be happening, like not being part of the board and having that visibility. And so 
through my work of working with other founders, I realized that everything that I knew was completely like upside down. And what was also interesting of that too, is like, as the woman founder, as the one sitting outside the boardroom, I allowed that business to take on as like my essence. So it was like, I am Kristen, the co-founder of Lone Hero. That is my purpose. That is that is that. And so when the acquisition happened, it was like that identity was ripped out. And so I was left like standing there naked, not knowing what to do, just wanting to help other women not get into the trap that I was in. Which is interesting that I say that because I started the whole online lending business to keep people from getting into that trap. So it's like I find myself in a trap and I'm like, how do I help other people not get here? Oh, I'm in this trap here. How do I help other people not get here? And the reason I say all that is because it really exposed me to the patriarchy and just how there's so much against women, people of color to step into these spaces as a tech founder. And really, if you look at the essence of like what a tech company is, it should be bringing innovation to a space to make our lives better. But it ends up being that a lot of these technologies are built by people that are irresponsible. And so I see that and I have anger around that. I see the money. I see the bias with the money and how the money is getting funneled if you look a certain way. And seeing kind of the comparison of women are asked harder questions in those conversations and investors will invest when they feel very close to the problem being solved. And so if you're a woman and you have a technology you're building to help with maternal health care and you're sitting in front of a group of men, they may not understand that. So like there's just like these things come, that we come up against. And so it's been through my personal experience and through that work that I've been exposed to the realities of what people are going through. And so having that overarching look. It really intertwines. Like if you think about the anger and the money, it's like my anger is there because the money is, it's this resource that these billionaires are holding on to. And if you don't have it, it makes life so much harder. And if you do have it, it makes it so much easier, but then it also gives you all that power. And so it makes sense that they're keeping the power to keep us down. Like, so I just get, yeah, really angry about that. <laughs> and so here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even thinking about the idea of starting a tech company so that you can make your own rules, you can create your own culture, you can get away from that, even when you're trying to be outside of the box, the way that people, like only a certain type of person can exist outside of the box and be creative, innovative geniuses, and anyone else trying to exist outside of the box is like, well, what are you doing outside of your box? How do I shove you back there? And mm -hmm. so the promises of wealth and the promises of innovation and creativity are like really exciting, attractive things. And then all of the barriers to that, I think, can be very infuriating. <laughs> it's almost like, and, and I say this just because you brought up creativity and I've been having a lot of conversations with female founders. And when I ask what brings them joy in starting a business, it's the creativity. But creativity isn't celebrated in the traditional startup model. It's not... Like, you're so creative. It's just those words are never used. Which is funny because what is an innovation? It's creativity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, never, it's never called that. It's called innovation, which seems so masculine over creativity that seems so feminine. So it's interesting. I've got 
a lot of fears and scarcity mindset around both finances and anger around the patriarchy. So anger at the world, anger at the systems and financially. It's interesting financially because I've been low, low bottom, not being able to see the top. And then I've been up here and now I'm still set up well, but it's like I have all of this fear and anxiety and scarcity that's still there. And so it's like, even though I've experienced both, I still have all of this blockage from being able to ask for money or being able to feel confident in talking to investors about my business without feeling like I'm gonna be like all cowardly in the corner. Kristen wanted to work on some pretty big collective themes that are deeply ingrained from multiple sources throughout our lives. So when that happens, I usually get guided to create an overnight container to help loosen it up a bit so we could get right to the root of the feelings that have been bubbling up. These overnight containers remind me of how at the K-Spa, <laughs> I would have to soak in the hot tub for like 30 minutes before my skin scrub to really be able to exfoliate. And the overnight containers always start the same. It's a clear acrylic cylindric container floating in space. I then ground this container to the center of the earth and plug it into God from above and then call in any planetary or cosmic energies to support the container. And once it's ready, I invite the guest. So I called in Kristen, who's able to fill it up with whatever her soul is calling for to prepare for this healing. So let's dive in to her magical world. When I call you in, you get to fill in the look and experience of the container that's really specific to you. So you had called in right away, started filling it up with water. And to me, water, especially ocean water, ocean water is extremely healing. You know, it's got all the minerals and salt, it has the depth. And there's something really like ancient and wise about oceans. And oceans are like necessary for life. And so it's got like all the fundamental pieces of what we need. It's also really symbolic of the subconscious and going deep deep within ourselves. And I think of imagery of baptism and going into the ocean to be cleansed. I think of the image of Aphrodite, who was like, wasn't she the one that was like born out of the ocean? I think all of them were <laughs> like birthed from the ocean. But there is something that's really powerful in the healing energy of water that's really different than like fire or earth or the clouds even. It's really deep and it holds us. And it felt like what you really wanted to experience in this container was a specific kind of weightlessness. So we've started filling it with ocean. It felt like the ocean was only part of it. The other half was you wanted to like thin the walls of the container. So it felt like you were closer to space. Like you didn't want to feel the boundary between the safety of the container floating in space. You wanted it to feel like space was available to you. You were still protected because we still want boundaries, but it was like the illusion of less of a barrier. And it's almost like 
you know, anything can be anything. We like ascribe meaning to it. Right. So in this case, like a boundary could be about like what people talk about when they talk about boundaries. (laughs) Um, but in this case, it felt more like a barrier. So it's not like, Oh, you wanted like no boundaries or whatever. It's like, you won't, you didn't want to experience this barrier. And because it's, it looks like glass, it's like, it could be seen as like a glass ceiling, even though there's no ceiling on this container, it's only the sides. It's almost like you're like, fuck that. I don't want any barriers. I want to know that I have access to the stars. So we thin that out and then put some land to make sure that you had space to ground and steady yourself because it felt like you wanted to go on a really hard mission. And what you wanted to do all night was dive into the depths of the ocean. And then once you were done going as deep as you could go, you wanted to see how high you could go into space. And it felt like that was the the thing that you were going to do. You put on this like suit and it looked like the kind of deep sea dive suit from what is it? 20,000 leagues under the sea. Like you would see a little man at the bottom of a goldfish bowl. And actually it's funny because this container, it felt part like dangerous mission, but also we wanted to make sure that you were resourced too. So you weren't just doing these like dangerous things without any opportunity for safety or stability. And so it's like the container could become this really deep thing, or it could be a goldfish bowl where there was like a little treasure (laughs) in the corner and you looked like the little sea diving man they put at the bottom of um, a goldfish bowl. (laughs) So you got your sea diving equipment and you started to like do the deep dive. And, and the feeling that I got when you were diving was it's almost like you needed to feel this immense pressure. You wanted to see how far you could go. Number one, number two, it's like discovering all the new things. Like it's completely unknown. But number three, it's almost like you wanted to see how much pressure you could withstand. And then by coming out of the ocean and then going straight up into the stars, it was like the opposite of the pressure. It was almost like a decompression because that energy, instead of it being really hard pressure, it's super expansive. So it's like you would shoot up to the stars and see how far you could stretch your energy, like all your atoms within your body would like separate and get farther apart. And then you would go back down into the deep ocean and they would compress. And so that's kind of where you were going to be spending the night. That's what I saw last night when I created the container. Oh, I have pressure all the time and I do well under pressure, but it stresses me out. So it's not, it's like an uncomfortable feeling. It's an uncomfortable feeling that I'm comfortable with, if that makes sense. But like when I have extreme pressure, like I feel like it could explode. Like just last week, I was like, I don't want to do my business anymore. I'm going to like this. I'm not going to do it anymore. I can't do this. Like, this is it for me, you know? And then two days later, I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just like those extremes. But if I have more pressure, I feel more weighted down, especially if it's external pressure. We also wanted to make sure, like I said, that you were resourced during this. So at first it was almost like you wanted to create, just fill up a cup in space with ocean water. And so We had like the guides showed you how you could bring in anything (laughs) into the space. And so we brought in like land, but you still wanted, you didn't want just the earth. We just put in like a little bit of earth for balance, but you also wanted when you got on the land, there was like a waterfall cove that you could go to. So it was like a lot of water energy. And then um, it was like when you needed a break from all the pressure, 
there was a space that was set up with paints. And it was almost like you were doing cave paintings in this waterfall cove, but they weren't cave paintings. They were like really beautiful paintings. And what you wanted to paint was the world as you saw it specifically in this experience. So you wanted to be able to paint the deep sea as you saw it, and you wanted to be able to paint space as you saw it. And so we give you the space to do that, like without the pressures of like, here's how you paint the stars, you wanted to do it your way. And so you had the freedom to do that. And then when we were calling in resources to the ocean, it was really interesting. Like all of a sudden it started to take on like little mermaid vibes. I told you about the, like the little treasure marbles and like a little treasure chest, like a goldfish tank. But also, you know, there was like stuff down there that you could explore and it felt very like, oh, a thingamabob and like the things that you could find and discover and collect and be curious about was a big part of the feeling of this experience. And then also when we called in resources, like a King Triton came, um, like a father figure, but he didn't really interact with you. He was just there. And we wanted to make sure that we weren't putting in like a volatile situation. King Triton was a little bit controlling. So we checked in and made sure that he just kind of represented the safety of having this father energy and and father energy i think always ends up going back to god in some way so it's not even like your father specifically but just this knowing that someone's in your corner and they have your back was enough like if you got into trouble he was ready to like save you from the sharks or whatever but he didn't interfere otherwise he was like strong <laughs> and powerful and benevolent, but just kind of hung out in a way that's like very different than the patriarchy, right? Um, okay, so that was the container. And then this morning when I come back in, I'm on the land part of it and you show up and you're not wearing the suit anymore. You don't look like a mermaid. Oh, that's the other thing. So in the container, you were doing all these like pressure exercises, but it also kind of felt like you wanted to go deep into the sea and into the stars to experience a little bit of magic. What worlds exist beyond what we know logically. And there was a part of you that was starting to turn into a mermaid. It was almost like this balance of like really logical exploration, but this like desire to explore the the mystical as well. When you became resourced, it's almost like you started to transform into this mermaid so that you could experience the deep ocean in a different way, in a magical way. But once we brought in the resources, then that magic was available to you. So it also felt like this connecting to the magic in the deep sea was a big part of it too. So when you're back on land, you have legs again, your equipment, <laughs> diving equipment is off to the side. And, you know, you, you seemed a little bit not sad, but like, uh, man, <laughs> uh -huh. and it was this experience of like, you forgot why you wanted to dive in the first place. You were just doing this like really hard thing all night and you did it so many times that you forgot the point and the information that wanted to come out from your guides, it like started spilling out kind of immediately once you were like feeling a little bit defeated was this experience of like, 
The pressure diving into the ocean like that, going into these depths, the pressure and the darkness, it, it, changes you. You you start to experience evolution, but evolution is one of those things that doesn't just happen like, oh, you dive into the ocean and you grow gills, right? It's like it changes you on a molecular level a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And I mean, when we think about like Darwinian evolution, it's like over generations. But we also know that with the birds, it was really quick. Like they could see the evolution very quickly. And so it is possible to evolve with the guides wanted to remind you is that, you know, when we do something so long, it becomes normalized. And so we forget that there used to be a point where we couldn't handle any pressure. We could only dive a hundred feet into the water before it hurt our ears or whatever. And so every time you dove into this really intense pressure, it was slowly evolving you, but in such a subtle way that it's almost like you can't see it. And so the reminder is that because you experience this pressure, because you made the choice to go there, that even though you feel like the same person, even though it feels like just something really hard, it's almost like it feels really hard because you forgot the magic or, or like the not the why, because I think the why can be very logical sometimes. And we can hold on to like, yes, I'm doing this because X, Y, Z. But there's like the soul reason we do things, the the body reason we do things, the unexplainable reason that we do things. And if, if we try to rationalize it, it like it takes away from the depth and the grandeur of these explorations. And ultimately, you did this to evolve to grow, to expand. And it's almost like the evolution that I see is like, yeah, you can withstand greater pressure because you've done it before, but it's almost like you would go down there and you'd start to grow gills. And when you start to grow gills, you can, yeah, you can be underwater a little longer, but also it makes you, I mean, it's just like adaptation. It gives you an advantage to explore places that, that people could only talk about doing, but you are resourced at the like a cellular level. So it was this feeling of, yeah, like you had done it so many times. It's like when you say the word fork or whatever, too many times it starts to lose its meaning. That's what it felt like with diving and exploring and going deep into this pressure. So this is the place where we start the energy work is from this feeling and from this reminder of like, let's, let's see the ways that it's evolved you. Let's connect to the ways that it evolved you and connect with that. Why? Cause the why is feels like it's more connected to like a soul mission more than it is about trying to prove something to you or to anyone else. And I think that's the thing too. It's almost, it almost feels like at first you wanted to prove something to yourself or you wanted to prove something to someone when we do that, when that's gone, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, why am I doing this anymore? And it's really easy to give it up, give, give up and go like, well, I guess I am going to retire now. I'm going to go paint now. I'm going to be a live in the woods now. <laughs> um, but it feels like it's, it's, it's not one of those things like, oh, I guess I don't have to do this anymore. It feels like you have to do it and you've let it change you in a way that's like evolved you. And so how do we, how do we tap into, yeah, the greater why 
once we let go of the capitalistic or patriarchal or all the other reasons why we can be motivated to do things. And in a way, by stripping away those motivations, it creates a lot more freedom because then it's not about reacting to anything. And it's not like the carrot or the goal is set by someone else, right? We're taking away the the goal that's set by someone else and it creates space for creativity. When we get rid of like external reasons why we do things and specifically it's like on the surface is like proving something to these other people, like fuck them or whatever. (laughs) I'll show you. That's, that's one level. And then there's the aspect of proving it to ourselves. That's a little bit deeper, I guess, but it's still like not external, but it is still like very of the world. And it can be very motivated by here's a goal, here's a thing, and I'm going to get it. And so it almost feels like by stripping away all of that, it opens up the creative potential of why we do it. And then the the exploration or the creation or the like creativity element becomes the the why. And there's like infinite possibilities. The way that you described my container is like my dream world. Uh-huh. My dream world is ocean, beach, waterfall, and like stars in like purples and pinks and you know like the celestial like you're looking at the Milky Way, but it's like on top of me. Like that's my, that's my ideal world. And so I like, and then the diving under, flying up, diving under, flying up. What I equated that to, what I saw is that like, I'd go down, but then the momentum up and then the fall back down, each time I'd go down and up, it would be a little bit further, a little bit further. And so I was like scratching the surface going deeper and higher and deeper and higher and deeper and higher where I like reached the depths And it was like, okay, now what? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you talked about your bio, you even talked about having experience from like the bottom of the bottom to the top of the top. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) And that's like, and you know, that's like the journey of an entrepreneur too, is like having these extreme highs, extreme lows. And I talk about that with my therapist. We use the image of a balance beam. Like I'm on the balance beam and I can fall up and I can be doing flips like the balance beam is always there. And if I fall, it's not like I'm dying. Right. And get right back up again. Yeah. Even if you're injured, yeah. you could always carry strug it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tend to work from crown to root from the seventh center down. And I always start with clearing out the crown because it can collect a lot of chatter like collective energies get stuck there it's like it's almost like some people have like static cling and it can get in our heads or other people's ideas can get caught in our heads you know we're learning stuff we live in a world where there's so much information all the time that the crown just gets cluttered so I like to start there and it's also the space where we're connected to God and so I like to make sure that We're resourced for the full healing by being connected to both the earth and to God. So we start by creating a grounding cord for you, which just goes like from your root down into the center of the earth and kind of creates like an umbilical cord. And then we call up a column of earth to to ground you and support you that goes all the way up to your hips. And then um, in the crown, we just clear out any clutter that may be there. And then that exposes this like cord that looks like an appliance cord that I plug into the center of 
the universe. And what was interesting is it felt like you have a relationship with God, but it was like your plug wasn't plugged in. So it didn't feel necessarily like you were tapped in to God. How do I say this? Like you weren't plugged in, but you had like, it was almost like I saw you in a bedroom and you had Tiger Beat magazine, like, you know, teeny bopper posters all over your wall of God. <laughs> you have a devotion and a reverence to God, but it was almost from a distance. It was like God is an, an entity, a being to be admired and adored, but not necessarily. It's like you wouldn't be friends with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. It's just someone to have on your walls or something. And so we wanted to change that relationship. So you could keep your, it's funny because most of the time if something shows up, we like throw it into the fire. <laughs> and it was like, you could keep your teeny bobber most, like you could keep the reverence and devotion. And also we wanted to make sure that you had a direct line, like you get JTT's phone number too. <laughs> so you can call anytime. And so we plugged you into God the center of the universe. And so part of this connection is it's not even just about like being plugged in. It's also about like giving in and receiving information. It looks like an outlet because there is this electrical impulse that gets sent by the brain, by the all, by God that flows through us. And so we want to be connected so we can receive the impulse that comes from God, which is ourselves, right? Ultimately, because we're all God. And it's that whole, like, God is the ocean and we are a drop of the ocean. So we are both a drop and the ocean. So we want to feel those electrical impulses. And then the other thing that we wanted to do, the way that I see it being connected to God too, is that you could send like a little ping to God, like doing an internet speed test. <laughs> so you can like send a little ping down the, the wire. And then once God gets the ping, then God sends a ping back. And that's how you know like that God can hear you. <laughs> or it was the feeling that I got for this speed test in particular. We let you run a little bit of the speed test. And, you know, there was this going back to this teeny bopper. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know why Jonathan Taylor Thomas is the one that keeps coming up. But it was almost like this feeling of like you've had this poster of JTT on the wall and you get his phone number. But it almost feels like it's one of those like, I don't know if you remember the game Mall Talk. It almost feels like it's going to be one of those Mall Talk phones where like there's a pre-recorded thing and you're not really connected to anything. But you pick up the line and it dials and the real JTT answers. And so there's almost this like crying happiness that happened. <laughs> so we let you have the, the, the emotional response and continue to ping and like talk as long as you needed to talk and connect before we moved on to the next part of it. Okay, so we have you connected to God. We have the energy running through you. You're feeling great. And then we have you connected to your grounding cord to the earth. So we're letting the God energy run all the way through you, down your grounding cord, down to the center of the earth. So it's like pulsating all the way through and giving back to the earth. And then once this happens, once you feel connected, you feel this electricity running through you. It was time to move into the next exercise in depth, which you had been going into the deep ocean and ocean feels a very specific way. There's a weightlessness at the top, so buoyancy or whatever. And then as you move into the pressure, there's the pressure or whatever. Now, once you were connected to God, the earth opened up beneath you and it was time to dive 
into the magma, which magma feels really different than water because it's heavy. (laughs) It has a lot of mass and it's fire energy. And this was what was really fascinating because when I meet you, I think of fire, like you have a fire about you. But what I think I realized right away in this healing is that you actually have a lot of water energy, a lot of water energy. You wanted to be in the ocean. Yeah, you like just were surrounded by water constantly. Water was like a part of you. (laughs) But this fire was different. So it was almost like magma was the opportunity to experience fire in a way that felt like water. The one thing that you knew is that, you know, like when you're diving into the ocean, you knew that you would still be you. Your body would remain intact and it would just be you in the ocean. The difference with the magma is that the magma was going to swallow you whole. So when you got into the magma, you you got to stay whole for like two seconds and then you melted away and just became your most essential parts. And so it was like a little bit scary because you felt like you were disintegrating and dissolving, but there was like a part of you that was ready to give over to that. So you just released and disintegrated. And then from there, you got to be swallowed by the center of the earth. And what's really cool about the center of the earth is that it is like the womb of mother earth. When you're in there, like it's warm, you're weightless. It feels like being in the womb. And even more than that, you like get to hear the heartbeat of mother earth. The earth called you, kind of pulled you in and let you feel the unconditional love of mother earth because mother earth is really like who births you she is the one who whose body we're like offering and and one thing that was interesting because it was like mother and father i thought that and and it was like no god's not necessarily the father because you are god which i guess is kind of true of our parents right like no matter what our relationship is with our parents our parents are still a part of us. We're not our parents, but they are like a drop within our ocean kind of thing. And and so that's true of like God and Mother Earth, because our body is like a gift from Mother Earth. And our essence is a part of God. We just let you fill up with so much unconditional love that when you're like full, as full as can be, Mother Earth can't help but birth you. So we let her birth you. And it was pretty cool because you like were whole like yourself. And then you went through the magma and disintegrated again. And as you got closer to the surface, you came back together again. And then once you were birthed on the surface, it was so funny because you were like expecting to come through the ocean, but you ended up being birthed in the middle of the desert. It looked like Death Valley, like flat land desert, nothing there. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is wrong. Something's wrong. I'm supposed to be in the water. And it's interesting because it took me out of like my happy place and put me like, the last place I would want to be is the desert. Like I want water. And so it was like, it took me from my ideal, my perfect world. And it spun me up into this desolate, like, where are the animals? Where are the plants? Like, where are my friends? (laughs) You know, and feeling like I was all alone. I didn't even, because like in nature, I never feel alone. If I'm surrounded by trees and birds and like animals, like I'm never alone. I have, you know, everything around me, but in the desert, it's harder to see. You felt like a literal 
fish out of water. And that's when I realized, oh, this healing about patriarchy, this healing about money is really about belonging. And what we're going to work on today is healing the spaces where you feel like you don't belong and making sure that you understand that you belong exactly where you are. Earth did not make any mistakes on where you were birthed. You are there. You are not a fish out of water. You belong. And now belonging is one of those very big, important, deep concepts. You know, there are a lot of ways that our society is set up. And I think patriarchy is one of those structures that makes us feel like we don't belong. But, you know, we're born, we're born in this country. We exist in this country. We not even just this country, but in this world, in this time, in this era. I read this book. I'm going to have to look it up. Something that really stuck to me about that book is that the most basic foundation of this idea of I belong is that it's not even like I belong in this space. I belong in this job. I belong in this industry. It's I belong in this life because it is my life. I belong to my life. That was the mantra or affirmation that we washed over you because when you were in this desert, it's almost like you felt stranded Um, And there was no water in sight. And so you were kind of like freaking out a little bit, like looking and trying to find and no, I'm not supposed to be here. Something's wrong. And the earth kind of came up and, and assured you that this is exactly where you were meant to be, that you belong. I kind of like transplant myself very frequently, or I have a couple of major times in my life where it's kind of like that lack of belonging initially, and then having to work really hard to feel like I'm belonging. So it was the move to New Hampshire. I moved to California after that. I moved to Orange County. I moved back to California. I moved to Atlanta. It had no one here. So I feel like that all of a sudden standing in a place where you feel like a fish out of water. And in my, when I was in the meditation, it was like I was completely naked and exposed because I was just rebirthed. So it was very raw. And it was like, I can't do this. I can't start over. Like, I don't belong here. And kind of like on the edge of like, I want to go back to safety, but actually stepping into that power and saying like, no, I'm here and I'm going to make it for me. That kind of resonates a bit. And so we just washed over you with this energy of you belong in this space. I mean, a big part of it was that when you were in the space, all you could see was that it was deserted. I mean, you were alone too. There was not even like grass. It felt really isolated. And so we kind of had you feel all your feelings about it. And on the surface of it was this hot, red hot rage. And it was interesting because it was almost like a fire that was burning on your skin, except that it wasn't actually touching you. It was like floating around you. And so this anger, this rage, while you feel it very much as your anger, it is your anger, right? It's almost like the anger was actually a shield from something else. And we see this a lot. (laughs) There are different emotions that we use in resistance to whatever is underneath the emotion. And it still makes the anger very real, right? But it makes it a lot harder to process the anger. Or in your case, what I was seeing here specifically is that it's a lot harder to process the anger and let it move through you because it wasn't ever going through you. It was just outside of you. And so it felt really hot and it felt like you were like trapped in this inferno and in the desert, you know, it's like super duper hot and you wanted this water to quench the flames or whatever. But this fire can only be productive if it runs 
through you, like a wave of energy through your body. To do that, I was shown that we need to let the fire consume you, just like we let the magma consume you to rebirth you. But there was this like fear of letting the fire consume you. And so we just brought in lots of extra resources and what was inside of you is actually all of this water, which feels like sadness. But more than that, it feels like a lot of grief. And, you know, when we think about belonging, like there's a lot of grief about like the life that we could could have had if we just belonged or, you know, all the ways that it's hurt. It, it was almost like, you know, you were this fish out of water and there was this like group of people around you. Like you're in this desert, you're all alone, you're covered in flames. But again, it's not touching you. It's like around your aura almost. It's two or three inches above your skin. And there's this feeling all of a sudden of all of these men and boys, you were being thrown to the wolves and they were just watching you. And it was almost like they were laughing at you. And you had this rage and then also this like deep sadness. I mean, not only are you alone and you want someone to be there with you or to help you or to, to you know, like it doesn't feel good to be thrown to the wolves. Even that saying is really destructive. They're throwing you either to fight your way through or to be devoured by these wolves. And neither of those options is very fun, <laughs> especially if they're just like sitting there chilling and laughing and getting entertainment out of it. We let you see this dynamic that was at play and then let the rage of that, the sadness of that, like spill out of you, the grief of that, the little, it, you, all of a sudden you felt like very young too. It didn't feel like you today being thrown to the wolves. It felt like you as a child. And so we let the the grief spill out of you. And then once the grief spilled out, there was space for the fire to burn through you. But it was almost like you had to release or connect with or process the grief in order to make space for the fire to actually consume you. The thing about fire, fire is the tool for alchemy. I feel like in the Michael Pollan show, the food show, he talks about how like once we had fire, it like transformed how we could eat because it took some piece of food and turned it into another piece of food. In the most basic form, it's like bread, right? You could take this liquid and turn it into something solid and light and nutritious in a different way than eating dough <laughs> or flour and water, right? And so fire does have this alchemy to transform us in a really powerful way or transform a situation in a really powerful way. It turns like solid into liquid and liquid into solid. And you need this fire mm. to do that kind of magic. And so by allowing the fire to burn through you, it's almost like there's going to be a change that happens. And there's like a little resistance to that, the ways that it could change you. It's almost like there was this fear that if you let the fire burn through you, it's going to change you in a way that's scary and bad and that you don't like. So we examined that further. And what ended up showing up, it, it's almost like we let the fire consume you and then these feelings show up like this. Oh, if it burns through me, it's going to change me. And if it changes me, it's going to be bad. That thought brought an image. All of a sudden, this boardroom showed up. And again, you're like in the middle of the desert, <laughs> like cracked soil, so dry. This like boardroom and they almost look like Muppets. The, who are the guys that are like in an opera booth? <laughs> the old dudes with the white hair. They look like that, like if they were human. <laughs> and they were kind of sitting around and they were some of the people that were like, throw her to the wolves. It wasn't just them. It was a lot of people and some of it felt like family. I don't know what your family dynamic was like, but some of it felt like boys in your family and boys in your school, men 
who are friends and men who are friends of the family and then also this boardroom. So it's almost like they were judging and assessing you. And at any moment, it felt like once they started talking, you like transformed a little bit where you were kind of at their mercy. And it almost felt like what you were most scared of with this board is that they were going to fire you <laughs> like from your life. And, you know, we, we know logically they can't, it's your life. Like they, no one can oust you from living your life, but that doesn't mean that we don't feel that energetically. So that's when I realized that this boardroom was actually an entity. And the other word that came up for this group was a tribunal. So it felt like it was a tribunal and now it takes the form as a boardroom. But either way, they're judging you. You have to answer to them. You have to like convince them of literally everything that you're doing. And that's a lot of fighting. And that kind of takes away a lot of autonomy and agency from your own life. So we want to get rid of this entity. We want to heal whatever is making this dynamic because in a way, it makes it hard to just dive into. Th it's hard to feel like you belong because there's a voice that's telling you all of the ways that you need to change in order to belong or what you're not allowed to do, shutting ideas down so that you can belong. And so, yeah, we want to just fuck those guys, but let's heal it. What, what do they represent? What are they offering you? Because ultimately it's an aspect of yourself that created this board to keep you safe. What was interesting about it too, is that it was like this board was corded into your, your root, your sacral and your heart. So it really like affects your dynamics with other people because both our sacral and our hearts are like relational. Our sacral is also like our creativity and where we manifest things, where we create things. And so it can really like stop creative expression, especially if it feels like it's not appropriate according to the board. And then also the safety, like you have to listen to this tribunal, to this board in order to feel safe. The tribunal of old Muppet men, like that is my old board, like the old board that shut me out of the doors and made all of those decisions like that happened. What I understood from how you kind of like went through and then saw younger me was that younger me had created that as like a protective barrier. And but it actually like feels like it came to life. Like I when I see the Muppets, I see their faces as Muppets like they are old white men, old white men sitting around a table making decisions that severely impact me and what I've built. And so when you were talking about that and how it was, you said it was um, root, sacral and heart, it felt like that was what has been weighing me down. Like this, I have to have approval from you. I have to have you make the decision. I need you there in order for me to do the things that I've been able to do, press the boundaries a little bit more. And so that was really like, it really stuck out to me. We started with unhooking them from these energy centers, and then we pulled up the entity tent, which it looks like something out of Outbreak. <laughs> so you go into this tent with this board, and I want to say it's like three dudes sitting at a table, which is also why it felt like a tribunal. And in this space, in this tent, you talk to each other and kind of reveal what you need from each other and how you feel about it. It's almost like couples counseling sometimes. But what, what we really wanted to be able to do was 
allow you to speak to the board and express your feelings about what you want and how their criticism makes you feel. And it's almost like what you today, the version of you that was in there that's from today, wanted was validation and like visibility and acceptance for having these feelings. And then we asked the board what it needed and wanted and the board like you know wanted safety the way that we heal that is we like ask for the earth and the cosmos to offer up exactly what it is you need so we created the space for you to be validated we had the earth validate you the board wasn't necessarily going to validate you so we get it from other places like the earth and the stars and then for the board, we created a lot of safety around them and a lot of acceptance. Underneath the board is the version of you that created this safety mechanism. So like, as we offer the safety and the validation, the board starts to like melt away and become the original form. And this was a very young version of you. But as you became the young version of you, the board also turned into this tribunal. It felt like related to the Navy or something, like a Navy tribunal. It almost felt like it was connected to a past life that was carried over. And, you know, when we have past life stuff in this life, it doesn't necessarily mean that nothing happens in this life. How do I say this? Okay. So when we have past life stuff carried over, it tends to attract things that are similar so we can bring it to the surface and heal. And so what it felt like is that we needed to go one layer deeper from this little girl to the past life and offer that past life what it wanted. And in that life, it felt like you were a person on a ship in the Navy. And it didn't feel like any time recently. And it felt like back in the day, like wooden ships and that kind of thing. It felt like you were really adventurous and you lived to be on the ocean, like you belonged on the ship and you had shipmates or whatever. So you were never alone. You were like, always surrounded by your bros <laughs> or whoever. Like there was always someone there. There was like this team and it felt really great to be a member of the team. And you felt at one with the ocean. Like you could just look at a wave and know what direction things were going. You could look at the stars and know exactly where you were. And so by knowing exactly where you were, it created this like really intense sense of belonging and it felt incredible. But then something happened and it's almost like this tribunal tried to shut you down and maybe you died or whatever. Maybe put to death is what it feels like because you were like a really big risk taker and maybe went a little too far. And so that was the past life that we really wanted to let go of. So we wanted to bring some healing and forgiveness and validation and safety. Like it's unfair that this happened. And it felt like an unfair situation that this like tribunal could exert this kind of like power over your life like that. And so we, we, we wanted to release any karma that was related to this past life because you know what? It already happened. You already lived that life. It's done. So um, when we went to go release the karma, usually when I see karma, I see them as like little skipping stones that you throw into a lake. And it's like this karma healing lake. And instead it was like the ocean became this karma healing pool and the ship itself was the karma. So we let the ship sink into the ocean. And then we also let that aspect of you release and cross over so that it wasn't holding you back or showing up in weird ways in this life. Something that I'm learning through my own spiritual journey is that, you know, whatever's in as within, so without, right? So we create the, these little pieces of ourselves. And then it's almost like we project it out or we call into being an externalized version of it. 
And then by experiencing that, it creates this opportunity where it could be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you? This is awful. Who decided this? And then it's like, oh, wait, I did. (laughs) But (laughs) which can be an awful feeling. Mm -hmm. And then also it's like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that anymore. And it creates space to let it go. And so my hope with energy work is that by removing this tribunal, that it creates space where they don't show up external, like that doesn't have to show up externally anymore. We come back to the little girl version of you. And I want to say that she's like six, seven, and she's standing in front of this tribunal. And it's the same energy, like a group of people who judged you or like passed judgment or punished you or something unfairly for simply being like adventurous and risk taking and trying to do things that wasn't appropriate for you to do. And so it almost felt like the seven year old version of you took on the shape of the board because it was like, well, if they get to make the decisions, then I. I am going to become the decision maker because you felt really powerless, powerless over your own life and being able to like condemn someone to death or like put them in trouble or decide whether they're like worthy or not worthy or good or not good is a lot of power. So it's almost like this child version of you embodied this tribunal because it's like they're the ones that have the power. Once we saw all of that, it could be released. And so we let the tribunal die and had your seven-year-old self show up in your natural form. And it felt like this seven-year-old version, she almost started to look like she had pigtails like Drew Barrymore in Firestarter, that movie. Drew Barrymore happens to be like one of my favorite actresses and I just love her. Oh, um, funny. <laughs> so it was just funny that you chose her. But... Well, I didn't. <laughs> oh, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> that was me. And so that's the word that I got is that she was this fire starter, fire starter, fire starter. But this tribunal or the outside world kept telling her that's dangerous and psychotic. And look at the scary movie of what that could represent. Well, I love the imagery of the after Kristen as the fire starter. Kind of was very, like a very free spirit and very creative and weird. And so I let my freak flag fly for a bit but then getting into like middle school high school I would shield that because I was different and I felt I always felt like judged in school like when I graduated I wanted to go as far away from Connecticut as I could it was just this feeling like it just wasn't for me I don't belong here like that was kind of the evolution. Like I was feel like I was this really happy, creative, like playing in the woods, making mud pies and like weird imagination stuff, like creating things. And then through like actually growing up adolescence, it was like, you have to be this certain way. And it was like dimming that light. And so what we were being called to do is to appreciate and value and nurture this energy of being a fire starter and like, yes, for everything, there's a shadow aspect, but usually you end up in the shadow if you're ignoring it or trying to reject it. What we resist, we become kind of situation. So what we wanted to do was like, we had you give the fire starter version of you a match. And that was the symbol of accepting her. So you gave her a match and then she like literally set the quarantine tent, (laughs) this entity tent ablaze (laughs) and then started setting little fires around 
the town or this like desert. There's really no buildings, but like started building a bonfire. And then the guides came and did this rite of passage ceremony. And once she decided to become this fire starter, to fully step into it, then it's time to celebrate that. And this is your rite of passage. So they kind of like taught her. They put on a big bonfire and dancing and there were all these like fire dancers. So they had her learn how to breathe fire and dance with fire. And it wasn't this like destructive, dangerous psycho thing. It became this really beautiful, powerful, mesmerizing thing. Then we had that version of you integrate into you because she is an aspect of yourself. And so we do that by like having you give her a hug and then she just kind of like melts into you. And then, you know, sometimes it's really scary to feel this new energy. So I try to rain down on people with some Reiki energy or keep you in this Reiki bubble while the integration is happening to give you more space to allow her fire to flow through your veins. And once that happened, you felt really good. Like you wanted to dance and you wanted to light things on fire and it changed the anger. It didn't just have to be anger. It could just be fire and it could be creative and it could be alchemy and it could flow through you. What it really felt like is that you are like an incredibly creative person and the board or this like tribunal shut stuff down. And so now without this, you could play with fire. You could have whatever relationship with where you are that you wanted without them telling you how it's supposed to be. That was the other part of it. So now that you're integrated with this person, we wanted to make sure that you feel like you belong. And you know what? As long as that aspect of you didn't belong inside of you, it would feel like you don't belong where you're at because you're dragging the, the weight of this tribunal with you, right? So by accepting it, there's it opens the door to it one level of belonging. And then we had you work with the land. So like as you would step, we could see roots grounding into the earth. And then not just that, but the earth would kind of come up and like grow flowers before you. You could like see that you weren't in this deserted place. You were in like a thriving desert ecosystem. And there were, if you looked, there were like yucca flowers and rabbits and, you know, all of this life that was hard to see before, but suddenly you could see it. And so we had you cultivate a relationship with the land where you were born. Because I think that's another thing is that, you know, we can be in a place, but there's something about cultivating a relationship with the land that helps us belong no matter where we're at. So we did a lot of pulling stuff out of your field. So we wanted to make sure that now that you were integrated with this aspect of yourself, that you also filled up. So we called all of your authentic energy across all time and space and filled with unconditional love and belonging Then had that fill you up and fill in all the spaces that were made. There was one cord that was separate from the tribunal. So we had Archangel Michael come and cut it with his sword and Archangel Raphael heal the wound that allowed the cord to happen in the first place. Because now that you let go of this fear of this fire, you didn't need this dynamic with a person that you were like corded into who offered this safety and reassurance and confirmation that the fire is bad. Now you can just be the fire. So we did all the like energetic hygiene stuff. You were feeling a lot lighter and like dancier and fiery. You wanted to 
sit in meditation and you were sitting on this volcanic rock. It felt like it was Maui and you were back at the ocean. The ocean waves were crashing. You were like calling forth the things that you needed, like the resources that you needed. A fish just like jumped out of the ocean and landed right next to you to be fed. And then you wanted something beautiful like flowers or something. And so this vine started to grow behind you and put a flower in your hair. And so it was this feeling of when you belong to the to the land, but when you belong to your life, then earth, which is where we belong, does everything it can to bring you what you need. Like you can just call out and the earth will bring it to you. And so it was like showing you this way of before this feeling of belonging, it feels like we need to get resources from other people who have the resources because they belong. But once you belong, you know, in this situation, it's like you knew that everything around you existed just for your life in a way that not like everything is happening for you. But in a way, yes, because you are like the lead of your story, right? You're the hero of your story. It wasn't even like we need to teach you how to fish, teach a man to fish or whatever. It was cultivate a relationship with where you are and the fish will happily come to you, commune with you in that way. And so I think the, obviously the fish was a symbol for money and abundance and that you can be fed. There's like plenty of fish in the ocean. The ocean's very deep. And by sitting still right exactly where you belong at this nexus of like fire and ocean, you were like, peaceful, like you were just happy and content as you, not necessarily with yours. So it didn't feel like you were being called to be like happy and content with your circumstances or whatever, but just as you and all of the the ways that you are, especially because it felt like at the beginning, there was this confusion about how fire and water could coexist. And at the end, the fact that you were at Maui was like the perfect conclusion to this because Maui or Hawaii is like a place where fire and water do coexist. But what's interesting about that is that the fire is in the form of this volcano, right? And the water is the ocean. And when the fire erupts, when the fire flows, the water cools it and it creates this new earth. It creates new islands. It creates new space for life. And that's what your energy is offering is that it's offering this this nexus of fire and water creates space for new earth, for new life to thrive. And it's exactly where you exactly where you belong. felt like you tapped into my soul and you did some stuff there. I mean, it just really, I took a bunch of notes and I'm usually not someone. So if someone's doing a guided meditation, it's very visual. They're like, oh, and you can see yourself here. Like I never can really tap into that. But as you were talking about the healing, I really saw, I saw it, I saw it visually. And then I took some time to meditate afterwards. And I literally kind of like, envision myself going through the whole process as you had described it and feeling it and embodying it and being like really tapped in. I love the end where you said I went back to the ocean and it was like Maui and then the alchemy of the fire rather than the fear of the fire. So that was one thing that came out was that in my meditation too, it was like I cried because it felt the way that you described it was I was there and then the fire was around me, but not on me, but it was like so like in such close proximity because it wasn't part of me, I couldn't move through it. And so I was like trapped and encapsulated in this fear and this danger. But then at the end, I realized that I am the fire. I play with the fire. I combine the fire with other elements to create 
And it was like that fire plus water equals earth, creating a space for new life to thrive. Like that was very, that's what I do. That's what I, that's why I do what I do is to help the alchemy of all the ideas from these women and putting it into the context of technology from my perspective. And how do you create that new earth, that new thing that's going to birth awesomeness? (laughs) And I don't know how into astrology you are, but I recently had a reading done there. And it was like, my life's purpose is taking technology and creativity and making the world a better place. Like that is in my stars. It's my unique, she called it a unique genius. I was like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Okay. So we entered this by talking about, you know, money and patriarchy. And what I love about energy work is that it's always like, okay, this is what you think it's about, but I'm going to tell you what it's really about. And in this case, it was belonging. Mm -hmm. And so after meditating with this and hearing this, how do you think your relationship with belonging relates to, you know, what you wanted to work through to begin with? Yeah, I think it seems like the root cause. I, if you ask me what one of my most frustrating things are is being misunderstood. And I think being misunderstood is in strong correlation with not belonging. So if I don't feel understood. Sorry about that. If I don't feel understood, then I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like people are hearing me. I don't feel like people are holding me to my authentic self. And so a lot of the fear around like the scarcity of money coupled with the anger that I feel in just being in tech as a woman is because I don't belong. Like women don't belong in tech. That's what everything's saying. Even though people are like, women belong in tech and we're going to fund you. Well, they're actually not writing the checks to fund. And so it's like... So what are the stats right now? Oh, it's like 2% of $330 billion goes to women and the rest is majority white men. Billions, billions of dollars. Like it's... It's sickening. And then if you look at women of color, it like runs to zero. Yeah. So it's there's and then also and I think like this comes up, too, is that there's all this talk about like women do belong. We are pulling up chairs to the table, but like the reality is there's not and we still don't belong and we're still not getting that equal treatment and there still isn't anything being done systemically to fix it. And so it's it's almost like I take that. I take the feeling of not belonging on for all women. Like, I feel that personally. If there's a woman that I'm working with and she can't get funded, I feel it. If she's not getting taken seriously, I feel it. And so I continually feel disconnected, disconnected, disconnected. Although the universe keeps saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. It's like this disparity So it's like the universe is like, you do belong, but then everything's saying you do not belong. And so there's that like disconnect. And so the not belonging feeds into anger of the patriarchy, because that's what created the sense of not belonging. And then money, first and foremost, women are never taught how to manage money. And then a lot of, so like I, you know, I didn't have parents who taught me and I also didn't have any school or programming or like people around me sharing that knowledge. So it's like, you just feel so like you don't belong. Like money's not for me. I can't make it work for me. So like it all, it all kind of comes back to not belonging. Yeah. I think it was really what became really clear too, is that when you feel like you don't belong, then it, it feels like you have to ask for resources from anyone 
because it's not just your birthright. I just had a realization. Oh. So, and this is the money part. I've, I started off my story saying I grew up in rural Connecticut with a lot of farmlands. Well, it was a lot of farmlands and a lot of rich people too. And so going to a school where I'm driving a beat up Oldsmobile because my grandmother handed it down to me and I paid a thousand dollars for it. I've got all my classmates driving brand new BMWs around. So I definitely didn't belong because I didn't have money and that I correlated that to that because that was my upbringing. It was like seeing what wealth could get you, what generational wealth could get you and not having that. And so if that's the majority of the people that I'm around in Connecticut, of course, I don't feel like I belong. Of course, I'm going to escape to New Hampshire. And then before I left New Hampshire, I felt like I didn't belong with the women that I had spent four years living with. And then I was like, I don't belong here. I'm going to go to California. And so it just, that's really interesting. I never realized that. Yeah. And the book, have you heard of that book? No, but I wrote it down. What what I really appreciate about what she says about it is that really it's about belonging to your life. And as long as you can connect to that and belong to your life, then everywhere you are, you belong because you're there, you exist. And that's like a spiritual, universal truth. It may not feel like it. People will always make us feel other if they if they feel like we don't belong, but that's not their choice. Like it's it's God's choice or the universe's choice or it's my choice. Like it's my fucking life. <laughs> I'm here. I, I mean, I went to Pepperdine my first year out of high school. And so I was like surrounded by in, like immense wealth while working at the Ralphs. And I had like three jobs that year. And I just left college to go work because I couldn't afford to go the next year. It was such a wildly different experience than my peers. But yeah, it like, it, it, I felt like I didn't belong there. And in, in a way that feeling also kind of feeds itself because any action that anyone took, it was because like, Oh, you don't think I belong here. (laughs) I mean, I was very angry about it. So, (laughs) um, but it takes, it, it, it does make everything feel hostile and arid and dry and like, there's nothing for you. And so that was something that came through too, is that after I transformed and I was able to really integrate with this version of myself, it was like, I started seeing the beauty of what was around me. I started being able to see, I think he said like a bunny and the, the, the vegetation. And so that was really interesting too. Yeah. It it made me realize in the healing too, the way that this could apply to tech, that if, if we do feel like we belong or if we know that we belong, cause we're there. I mean, you did build a FinTech company before FinTech was a thing. And now it's all anyone wants to invest in. <laughs> uh, and so you do belong. You are doing it. You have done it. You have an exit on your resume. And so mm-hmm. connecting to the belonging is what feels like it'll open up abundance because you'll know that it's yours because you're there. It's like there's $330 billion in tech. And so with the sense of belonging, I think comes the flow of abundance and it's that the part that I don't like about the spiritual work, though, is with especially with abundance work is the like balance between trusting, like doing the internal work and then it showing up is a whole bunch of like yeah. trust. <laughs> it's really easy to waver from that time to time and go down the spiral. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big thing for me was I was talking to a couple of friends about 
just like the state of women in tech and I get so mad and they're like, do you think you're building your company from a place of anger? And I was like, yeah, I absolutely do. And I've been having a lot of blocks with it. It's like things just don't like they just take so much longer and it's like there's it feels it just like can feel a block like I just know that there's a block there and so I'm like where is that block coming from and then it was like oh the realization maybe it's rooted in anger maybe that anger comes from fear maybe that's because I'm afraid of losing not having abundance and that's stemming into all these other things so it's like this rapid like domino effect but needless to say I typically like I feel like I move through them, even though I have residual stuff, obviously, that I still have to work through. But like what I do with this is it's really like a visual in my mind of the fire starter of like having the match, lighting everything on fire and using that fire as like alchemy of like creation. And so I'll compare the do I feel like I'm trapped with fire around me and it's not actually it's just like affecting everything I'm doing or am I playing with the fire and creating with the fire so it's like that imagery in my mind is going to help me kind of steer and there you have it Kristen came to deal with her anger at the patriarchy and the systems that she's fighting every day in her work and ended up finding the root the very core of connecting with her sense of belonging, her sense of knowing that she's exactly where she's meant to be. That's my favorite thing about healing is that, you know, a lot of times when we do a session, I will ask what's the intention or if I'm doing a healing session on myself, I set an intention of what it is that I'm dealing with in the moment that I'm hoping to find some relief from or some guidance around. And I will often show up with something external, like I'm angry about XYZ, or I need to attract money or find abundance or deal with a relationship. And what the guides always push me back to is that little kindling, that peace inside of me that's burning to be held and seen regardless of the external circumstances. We all have really different experiences with patriarchy or abundance. And yet, I think that this need for belonging is one of the most human, the most universal yearnings that we all connect to. Yes, I love that in doing the healing work, we're always brought back to ourselves and we're always brought back to the fact that we belong to our lives. I hope you find some magic from this episode and that it opens the door to belonging and abundance as you journey forward on your path. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on A Kind of Meadow with Rhiannon Vaughn.